Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. All right, this is Pete Mitchell. This is Peyton Jones. And we're here with the Church Planner Podcast for number three, episode number three, that is. Ooh, uh, and uh, <laughs> and we've actually got some really cool stuff to talk about on this, uh, this particular episode. Um, a couple of things we're going to get into. One, we're going to be talking about uh, the A-bomb, which uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, exactly <laughs> what does the A-bomb mean. But before we even get into that, Peyton, we got a story that I told you on Sunday, I think it was, that we had to bring it up on this week's podcast. And yep. um, why don't you tell everyone that happened at church this last uh, week at Refuge Long Beach? Because I think it's it's a story that church planners need to hear because it's the whole reason church planners go into church planning. Yeah, you know, I, I you and I have talked about this before, Pete, that a, a general underlying principle of church planning um, is that you have to get out there. Um, you, you cannot change the world behind a desk. I mean, in Church Zero, I'm pretty heavy on that. And um, there's something that I've noticed when a church that I'm planting starts to get a little more established, there's always a sense that you can kind of lose a bit of your edge. And that's always bothered me because I love that kind of, you know, metallic taste of fear, that little adrenaline rush when you're sharing the gospel and you're doing something unexpected and on the edge and you're on an adventure with the Holy Spirit. And then when your church gets established and then the numbers get bigger, you can kind of tend to sit back and, and rest on your laurels a bit and kind of uh, get on the back foot, as the British say. And, and here's the deal. I don't want to rest on my heels. I want to continue to advance the kingdom of God. So, um, like case in point, uh, what what we do with our leadership. I mean, I'm sick. You could probably hear it in my voice a little bit, but uh, I, you know, I've got a, a bit of a cold. But um, last night we were scheduled as a leadership team to hit the streets, and you know, hitting the streets 
street ministry, most of the middle class it won't be effective. And so therefore, people in middle class areas tend to negate the importance of that. But we've talked about street preaching on another podcast and how important it is to do street level ministry, particularly when you're not reaching the middle class. Um, you're reaching some of the lower economic strata, some of the cultists, ex-cons, um, addicts, prostitutes. Um, that's, that all becomes important. So we, as a leadership, constantly strive to try to keep our edge. So one of the ways that we do that is we keep throwing ourselves uh, into... Um, you know, situations kind of like the, the Army National Guard. You know, you go out on your weekend maneuvers, you're going to be called upon. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's your, my train goes train. right on schedule. And so what happens is uh, every podcast about the same time you hear that, doot, doot, and you know, you know, there, there goes the Amtrak or the coaster right by my house. So here's the deal. Um, one one of the things that 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 I've learned to do in church planning is you know always keep an eye open and always keep my ears open for the Holy Spirit to either show me somebody or to direct me and 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 so I was talking with a couple we're out by the chain link fence out to the entrance of the school where we meet and there is a pimped out caddy and, and, and this and, is on Sunday you're, you're yeah church is over most people have gone home so you're just out there talking to them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it was a Sunday morning where I just felt like I had failed in the pulpit. And I mean, everybody gets those times where you just feel like, man, I was just an embarrassment to preaching everywhere. Um, turns out it, 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 it apparently was some of people's absolute favorite preaching, which ought to tell me something. But here's the deal. I, I felt I failed. And I was, I was a little bit busted up inside, you know, as, as I get when, when I feel not, not that I failed to entertain people, but I've, I, I always feel, Lord, I may have misrepresented you. And, um, and anyway, so I was a little bit busted well, you, you up. You know what, Peyton? Why don't you tell, our, our our one single listener that we have. We have a, a listener, not listeners, just listener. Hey, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell people what you were preaching on that Sunday? Because it ties directly into what happened. Oh, that's funny. You know, I forgot about that. Yeah, we were actually on the Great Commission. And um, it was all about go out and make disciples. And as I'm standing outside, I'm talking to this couple and, you know, I can't remember what we were talking about, but at, at a certain point, I see this pimped out caddy and I can hear it because he's busting the music, you know, it's the the heavy bass, you know, the the rap, you know, and I, I look over and the guy behind the steering wheel just slowly cruising down the street, he's looking like bad news. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if this guy's a drug dealer. I don't know what's going on, but I've seen him going up and down the street a couple times. This isn't looking good. And uh, and the Holy Spirit just whispered to me and said, you need to go talk to him. And immediately, I don't always do that, but immediately, I think because I was in a place where I was feeling a little bit vulnerable and just kind of feeling, you know, all right, hey, what do I got to lose? My ego's already just shredded to pieces, man. And so I, I walk. Uh, I just say, excuse me just a minute. There's something I got to do. And just left that couple hanging. And I walk out, and the guy is, uh, he's turning around in a three-point turn into the drive of the parking lot where we're, we're standing. And I walk up, and from a distance now, I'm maybe like 10 feet away, I don't know if he's going to pull out a gun or what. You know, a lot of people don't realize what, what Long Beach can be like. So uh, I, from a distance, I say, hey, I'm a pastor. 
Um, we got a church meets right here. Just want to let you know. And by then I'm up to the window, the windows rolled down and he's just, he's frozen. He's looking at me and, uh, he's pretty intimidating. He's got cornrows, you know, he's got the, the, the big, uh, you know, Tupac shades on and, um, he's looking the part, man. And so I just say, Hey, um, you know, I'm a pastor. My name's Peyton. I reach my, my hand in, shake his hand, and I say, if you're ever in any kind of spiritual trouble at all, this is exactly what the Lord told me to say, hey, I'm here for you, all right? Whenever you need something, you you come see me. Ask for Peyton, and uh, we'll, we'll be here for you. We'll help sort you out. And uh, he just looked at me stunned, and he just said, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, wow, man. That's cool. That's really cool. Thank you. And he seemed genuinely touched and warm. And I, it's not the reaction I expected. I expected him to blow me off. I've been yelled at in Bixby Park by approaching tough guys. They're like, don't ever walk up to me, man. And uh, so I'm, I'm expecting, you know, he's going to be getting, you know, uh, <laughs> a little bit offended and touchy. And uh, so I walk back. Well, this last Sunday, um, you know, we're, we have breakfast. We serve breakfast to the community um, every Sunday morning. So this is, and this is two weeks later. Two weeks later. Oh, and, and the funny thing is I'm riding up to church, and I'm praying in the car. I'm praying just like, Lord, blessed, you know, boom, all the stuff you do. And the Lord just set, lays this guy on my heart again. It's two weeks later. Didn't do it the week before. And he said, ask me. Ask me to bring him. And so I said, Lord, bring him. And I, I remember saying in my prayer, you are a supernatural God. You know, just like what I preached two weeks earlier, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Lord, bring him. Show your stuff, Lord. And I, and I said, bear your arm. Because, you know, it says reveal to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed. That passage in Isaiah means as if a guy's pulling up his sleeve and he's flexing his muscle. So when you see, you know, it, when it talks about God bearing his arms in the, in the psalm or revealing his arm, he's showing his strength. He's showing his muscle. And so as the Lord flex this morning, you know, show, show what you can do. And uh, this guy comes walking in, and I see some girls tried to kind of guide him, and he's looking lost, man. I'm down by the picnic benches, you know, I'm, I'm talking to folks, and I look up, and he's standing there, and he has that look, you know, kind of like the girl, uh, you know, Cinderella at the ball, you know, like she shouldn't be there, she's in the wrong clothes. <laughs> he's just looking like a fish out of water, man. And so I walk up to where he's at, he's, he's up a couple steps, and I go, hey, man, first thing I say is I said, I... And someone goes, hey, there he is, and points me out. And I'm, I'm walking up to him by this point, and I'm like, hey, man, I knew you were going to come this morning. And he goes, really? How'd you know? And I'm like, God told me. And he goes, man. And he's like, he's blown away. And, uh, and I'm thinking, like, when I saw him, I swear to you, I'm thinking maybe he's <laughs> committed some crime. He needs to confess. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know anything about this dude. And so I said, well, hey, man, do you want some breakfast? He goes, no, I'm good. And he's smelling of alcohol. So, you know, this was typical in Wales where people would have to have a couple drinks before they could get the nerve up to come to church, right? When you're dealing mm. with a completely unchurched society, people don't realize, like, how radical it is for an unchurched person with no experience of church to walk into a church. It's as foreign to them as it would be for most pastors to walk in, walk into a strip club. And I say most pastors because I'm sure some are quite comfortable going in there and they probably shouldn't be in there. 
But uh, but anyways, the, the the point is, you know, it's it's a fish out of water situation. And um, we sat down and talked. He wanted to know. Well, first thing he wanted to know because I said, "What's your story, man? Like, tell me." And he goes, "It would take a long time, and I don't, I don't, I don't think we got that time right now." He goes, "It's not a very good story." And I said, "Well, you know," and he said, "Well, let me ask you something." He goes, "Why did you walk up to me that day?" And I said, "Because God told me to." And he goes, "For real?" And I said, "Dude, absolutely for real." I said, "I'm pretty down to earth. I'm not a freaky weirdo." And every once in a while, God taps me and tells me to do something. I did it. And he just sat back and he was blown away. He's like, man, if you even knew right now how much I needed that, if you even knew what God was, was doing in my life right now, my life's falling apart. And, and he goes, and I'm looking, man, I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for God. He goes, all I know is Jesus Christ. He's the man. He's the man. And, you know, and the conversation went on like that. I think you ought to tell the next part about what happened because you were sitting right behind me in the worship service. I think you ought yeah, to tell well, the rest. It, you know, it was one of those days where um, my wife, Jamie, and I, we were slow moving. I mean, normally we get to church probably a little bit later than uh, most everyone else as far as breakfast is concerned. And that's because, you know, we've got uh, a young son. He's almost two. He'll be two in a couple more months. So, you know, there's time that's spent just getting him ready and dealing with having a, a kid um, who's that young in the morning and needs you to do everything with him. So I, I remember because I, I got an email from Charlie at uh, like 945. Charlie's one of the other pastors there at the church. And he's like, hey, can you bring some donuts to church? And I'm like, <laughs> so the first thought I have is, oh, okay, you know, we don't have the good breakfast, right? We got the we got <laughs> the donut breakfast at, at the church. I'm glad I got the heads up. You know, I can grab something first before I go. And, um, so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, we'll pick up some donuts. Cause usually we got to swing by the bank before we head over to church anyway. Oh, and, that's great, man. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Well, that's, <laughs> but we didn't, we, cause we got there late. I mean, we, we literally got there about 11 o'clock, which is when, uh, church starts. And so, and the night before my wife had, had had a really hard time with some stuff from work and, you know, we were both just not fully there, not fully engaged by any means, right? And so we're sitting in our, our usual spot in the church, and we take the back row. And it's not because, you know, we're, you know, the back row Christians. It literally stems from just when you have a child that young, and we can't really send them. I mean, we go to a church with 30 to 70 people a week, right? I mean, it's tiny. And usually, you know, it's closer to the the fifty person mark. I would guess. I mean, you probably know exactly, Peyton. But uh, you know, <laughs> it's not like we have a children's church that you can send your your toddler to when when he couldn't even walk for most of the time, right? So right. We, we sit in the back because he can kind of wander around back there in the back row, and it's not really disturbing anyone else. And so we're sitting right behind that guy and Peyton, and um. There came a point when uh, I think we did like one song and then they just opened it up and said, um, you know, would anybody like to share anything of what's God's doing in their life? Or do you have a prayer or a verse or anything like that? And it was the funniest thing, right? Because I, I told you on last week's podcast, you know, part of the fun of going to Refuge Long Beach, going to this church plant is you never know what's going to happen. 
<laughs> and like as soon as whoever said that, I don't remember who it was. If it was the guy who was leading worship, I, I don't even know that that particular team. I don't know their names. You'd think in a church that small, I would, but I don't. That's that's what a, a great church member I am. But um, this guy goes, "Oh, I'm not afraid. I'll go up there." And literally, <laughs> he just gets up, walks all the way down, walks up on stage, and see. Normally, when we do that kind of thing, it's. Uh, you know, people will just shout out from where they're at. You know, yeah. this is what's going on. But, you know, he's new to church. He's new to the, our church. And so he's just like, all right, well, you guys are up there in front of the mic. I guess I got to go up there in front of the mic. Yeah, he didn't know the and rules he, at all. Yeah, exactly. He didn't know the rules. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it because yeah. awesome. the funny thing to me is, and, and he just gets up there. And so Jamie and I are like, man, we have no idea what's coming next, right? You know, what's going to come out of this guy's mouth? And and I honestly, at this point, it's been a week now. I don't even remember everything he said. I just remember him just saying, basically, what you said before: Jesus Christ, He's the man, you know. And and my life is, I I can't even remember. I it was it was it was so heartfelt, and it yeah. was like God is doing something. And it wasn't like, hey, I'm rich on theology. Let me share with you what God is doing. It's like God is doing something. Jesus Christ is the man. And I'm not afraid to get up here and say that. And yeah. um, he said I, something I about that, I want to follow him. I want to. Um, I want to. Uh, he he had a couple wants in there, and um, and people were cheering him on. Like it was it was so obvious that he was brand new. Like you know, yes. like he had no clue what the rules were, and what was really cool was Jerry. Um, the uh, worship leader, uh, he he actually he talked to me after. He's like, "Was that cool what I did?" Because what he did is at a certain point yes. he leaned over and said, "He he goes, hey man, you want to pray?" And and I couldn't tell what he was saying, but he told me later. Neither could I. And he goes, "Neither could I." Yeah, he goes because I didn't I didn't know if you know he was just going to keep talking or what. But uh, then he started to pray, and that that was just amazing. And I. <laughs> I mean, I'll let everyone in on a little secret with me. It's not really a secret, but I am um, I'm a typical dude, right? Like, you know, I'm not a really emotional person. I don't, you know, get all worked up over things. I'm not, I'm not a crier. And I'm telling you, man, I started to get teary-eyed. And this is, like, not yeah. me. Like, Charlie, our other pastor in the church, you know, every once in a while he's praying and, and Jamie and I are like, we don't know if he's going to make it through this one. You know, he's getting choked up, you know, <laughs> and like he's much more in touch with his feelings than I am. <laughs> I guess that's the way to put it, because I I must not be very in touch. Right. But I'm, I'm like starting to tear up because I'm like, this dude has had a head on collision with Jesus Christ. That's what it yeah. came across as. Yeah. And as soon as he was done, but that wasn't the end of the story for the morning because the very next gal gets up, another gal who we'd never seen, and she starts sharing her story. So, you know, now apparently you go up to the mic, you know, because this other yeah. guy led the way, you know, that's what yeah, you do. And, yeah. And we don't, we don't typically, just a, a word to our church planners out there, we don't typically encourage people to go to the microphone because it's hard to shut somebody down. So um, if somebody's out in the crowd and shares something that are off, you can just out shout them and say, hey, 
you know, we're going we're gonna to keep playing worship everybody or we're going to pray now, boom, boom, boom. You can just shut them down pretty easy. When they've got the mic, man, they've got the floor, and right. so it was, you know, it was a little bit, hmm, you know, when he jumped up, I just felt a peace about it. And then when the other girl came up, it just, it fell right, fell right into sync with, with what God was doing. And it, it was, uh, uh, it changed the atmosphere. It absolutely it, changed the atmosphere. It absolutely did. And I mean, her story was to me just as powerful because you know, she's talking about how I think she used to live in the area. Wasn't that part of it? Or she, because she had driven yeah. by where she had been like 16 years ago and she'd yeah. been in an abusive relationship. And, you know, one morning she was going to kill her son and kill her baby and just be done, check out. And she had a head on yeah, collision like, with God. Like the next block over, she said, she pointed and said, right there, you know, six years ago, I was going to take my life, boom, 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 and uh, she's, you know, basically was in the in the punk scene and started talking about everything that happened there, and boom, boom, boom. And it just, I mean, now at this point, both my wife and I are just like, I mean, we can't contain it anymore. I mean, we're just, we're <laughs> in the back silently, you know, just crying. And that for me is like very that 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 makes me more uncomfortable than anything else. <laughs> like, you know, I don't I don't want to cry in front of people. That's that's not my gig. But we were just so moved. Yeah. And Charlie gets up to preach, and one of the things that he said that I thought was just so profound. He goes, "You know, I'm always nervous when I come to the pulpit, but on a day like today, I'm even more nervous because I know that God is here today." Yeah, and he, he actually you know he actually says. He actually says, today I'm actually terrified. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. And it just, I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, I left Sunday and it was like our entire day was completely changed. Our entire viewpoint, everything that bad that had happened over the last weekend, it had just changed. It had changed in that moment. It had changed from hearing those stories and to see, you know, people who were having a head-on collision with the holy and living God. And um, it was amazing. And, and that's, to me, that's what church planning is all about. And we kind of talked about this on, on the phone earlier in the week, Peyton, you know, how with church plants, the people who you start with are rarely the people who you finish with. And, yeah. you know, it's they find out church planning is not for them. And we've certainly seen that at Refuge Long Beach. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've made the comment that uh, we had a vision meeting for Refuge Long Beach. Was that a year ago or two years ago, that that first yeah. vision meeting that we had at the Holiday Inn? Two, yeah, um, two years ago. Two years ago. And I think most of the people, not not most, no, actually maybe it is most of the people who were in that yeah, room aren't even there anymore. Yeah, most of them. And it's like... Yeah, Absolutely. That's that's a church plant for you and and me I'm probably the least likely person to still be there. You know, typically because you know, church has always as I admitted to last time it's always just bored me, bored me to tears. And and I'm like wrapped up in this thing going, man, what's going to go on next? <laughs> I can't wait to show yeah. up, you know, just to just to see. And uh and and that's what church planting's all about and and it's just exciting. I, I don't know how to put it any other way. And I, I really hope that our excitement is coming through because it is it is an amazing thing to see when you see you know the holy and living God showing up and you're like, Wow, 
I, I guess this stuff is real. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's so funny because when you mentioned about it changing your day, um, I see that happening. That That's on a micro scale where it changes your day. And what you're describing of why you're still there is really on a macro scale. And that is that your life has changed simply because you're on mission now. And it has changed everything. It's changed Christianity. It's changed your focus. It's changed your views. It's changed. I mean, it changes everything when you go on that discipleship mission from uh, Matthew chapter 28. I mean, to me, you know, I can do a bunch of stuff in ministry. Nothing compares to walking up to that Cadillac. Um, that that is the stuff that you read about next. This crazy killer stuff that not only do we read about next, but we read about in our church history books, our our, our biographies of Wesley and uh, J. Hudson Taylor and all of our heroes. And I can remember getting to a point where I got sick of reading about these guys. I, I've shared before on this program that, you know, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. But there comes a point at which when you read about something, you're like, okay, when am, when am I going to do it? I can't just sit around reading mountaineering books and, you know, books about Kilimanjaro and... um you know, all the, the famous peaks in the world, at some point, I'm going to have to start climbing mountains or I'm going to go nuts. And, you know, with all the books I read on these guys, I remember just crying out to the Holy Spirit, Lord, you know, I'm not these guys. And you know that, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I'm the guy who's more comfortable in the office. And I, I make the point in Church Zero of saying that, hey, I'm more like Dr. Dr. Jones, you know, like I, I want to stay and, and examine, you know, the archaeological artifacts. I want to theorize about them. And God's like, no, it's time, Dr. Jones, you become indie and you grab your bullwhip and your fedora hat and you start raiding some temples. And I think when that happens for a church planner, and, and often church planning is the process by which that starts to happen. But even before that, there, there's this kind of journey where God gets you to want to church plant. And so, Often a church planner, if he's already in ministry um, and he's being called to, a, to to church plant and he hasn't started yet, often he's uh, he's frustrated. You know, he's um, he's got this built uh, kind of pent up, built up aggression, and he can't wait to be released to get out there and, and charge the lost. And I always think of the Apostle Paul like this, right? Um, so, so you've got like this, uh, the Apostle Paul who God puts him on ice for 12 years after his conversion. He goes back up to Tarsus and Barnabas has to come and tap him. And when he does tap him, Paul becomes a wild man. Once Barnabas drags him to Antioch, the rest is history. For the next, you know, 12 years of his life, you know, that's what we have recorded up until Acts 28. The guy never stops. You know, he's just wild man. He's like this bull out of the gates. There's this energy and this charge, and he he wears young men out. He eats hirelings for breakfast. Um, he just becomes this church planting machine, like a Terminator. He never stops up, never stops, and he never gives up. And um, and so I you know, think that's a, you know, that, yeah. I was just going to say, Peyton, that that's a that's a good segue to what I really wanted to focus on in this podcast, which is talking about you know the A bomb. In the church circles, and uh, you know specifically, as we start to move through your book, Church Zero. I mean, you open it up in the very first paragraph. You start talking about Francis Chan and what he did, and we'll get to that in here in a second. And then he starts dropping the A word, 
and it ain't what you're thinking as you put in the book. Tell <laughs> tell us, you know, what was what did Francis Chan do and explain this this A word, this A bomb that he was dropping. <clears throat> you know, it's so funny because there's a book that really inspired me, written by a good friend of mine, um, David Allerton. And the book is called Ministry on the Move. And I put that book into Francis' hands that very day uh, because it was all about itinerating. And that means um, moving around, traveling, um, kind of like Wesley did. You, Whitfield said, all the world is my pulpit. In other words, I don't have a church home. Just show me people, and I will do my ministry there. And Paul was that. He was he was a mobile uh, minister. He was a guy on the move. And so when Francis Chan rolled through Wales, basically it was after there, there it is. It was after his um, his his famous announcement. It was shortly after, a couple months after he had announced that he was going to leave Cornerstone up in Simi Valley, uh, which was a thriving megachurch, uh, thousands of people. He and his wife had planted it. She worked full-time. He was uh, ministering full-time to try to build this thing. And it just took off. And um, Francis was very well known uh, through speaking. When his book was published, uh, it, it hit the bestseller because he had traveled out speaking so much uh, that his book just caught like wildfire because everybody knew him, what a gifted communicator he was. So for him to suddenly have kind of made it big, quote unquote, his first book uh, at that time had racked up $2.2 million. Uh, you know, he had donated all of it to charity. He had another book on the Holy Spirit, which came out. Um, Erasing Hell was scheduled to come out, hadn't come out yet. And, um, and he was in, you know, really the prime and no one could, could believe that he had actually left, uh, this thriving megachurch. It made no sense. In fact, Mark Driscoll sat him down, uh, to interview him. And he, it was like you'd never seen two guys coming at it from completely different, uh, perspectives before. Mark was like, what's wrong with you? You know, what's going on? And, um, and Francis just very calmly just said, you know, I'm, I'm longing for, uh, for something different. I just have this restlessness in me. And Driscoll was, you know, very lovingly challenging him and saying, well, do you think that's a personal thing? I mean, are you saying this and that and just challenging him? But what, what Francis wanted to do was kind of go on a pilgrimage and ask God, what do you want me to do? And so he was going to China to the underground church. He was going to Africa. He was just going to travel around to all the developing nations, visit underground churches, visit third world churches and just see um, what is church meant to be? Because at the top of this mega church pyramid, he felt like he had missed it. And so when he was speaking to us in Wales, um, there was a, a, a big event that he was doing and they had asked him to, uh, meet with a bunch of the ministers in the city of Swansea. Um, all of us were part of, of promoting this event that he was doing. And, um, it was more like a call to revival for Christians than an outreach for non-Christians. Um, but we met for Q and A, uh, for about two hours with him. And one of the first things he said in answer to a question, it might've been my question. I can't remember, but he, he, he said, um, I'm just looking for something more, more. And then he used the word apostolic. And you could have heard a pin drop when he said that. 
because hmm. in Wales, there's a denomination known as the Apostolic Church. We have it in America. It's not, it, it actually has a, quite a big history in Wales. Um, but you could have heard a pin drop because nobody in there was really understanding what he was saying. But I did. I mentioned that book earlier. I just read this book, and I had just come to the understanding that whatever Paul did, that's what I was called to because I had also announced my resignation at my church. I had founded New Breed. I had planted a successful church planning church. I was the head of this network. I was training church planners. And I was telling guys that, look, I feel called to come back to America and write a book. And everybody else thought I was nuts. And so I felt on a parallel with Francis. So I told him, hey, at the meeting tonight, I got a book for you. And um, when I came to the meeting, it was completely packed, got there a little bit late, had a new baby. And uh, when I got there, um, there was one one seat open, and, and oddly enough, it was right next to Francis, so uh, up on the front row. So I sat there, handed him the book, and said, have fun with that. And uh, But anyways, the... Uh, the the whole term apostolic was something that, that that had been rattling around in my brain and definitely in his. And why do you refer to that as the A bomb in the church? Why do you think that term uh apostle, you know, kind of uh wigs people out in the church? Yeah, you know, it's a pregnant word. It's got a lot of baggage attached to it. It's it's got some daddy issues that need to be worked through. Um it's been used and misused. Uh, really, it's been misused more than it's been used correctly. Um, you know, to quote Wayne Grudem, basically, he, he makes a statement in his systematic theology. Uh, he says, if, if by the word apostle, what you mean is church planter, um, then everyone should be able to agree with that. And that is, in fact, what I mean. But that here's the deal. Um, some of us have this calling where God hasn't called us to one place. He's called us to many places. In other words, he's called us to be foundation layers. As Paul said in the in the scripture, I'm laying a foundation, now someone else is building on it. And I, I think that typically um, we have in ministry uh, in the West— we have this idea that that one size fits all uh, for ministry, that if you go into ministry, you're going to be a pastor. Well, Ephesians 4 lists these five different roles, and the first one is apostle. And so for me, I realized when, when I was planning churches and getting bored and then needing to go off and get back on the front lines, which is what we started this conversation out with today, I realized, that, hold on a second, it's not that there's something wrong with me as Driscoll challenged uh, uh, Francis Chan to consider, it's that I have a different calling than other types of ministers. I am a foundation layer. They are the type that come and build on the foundation I've laid. So the word apostle literally means a sent out one. Um, it, it literally means missionary. So if you go to your back of your Bible and you, you go to the little concordance that's at the back of your Bible and you look up the term missionary, you won't find any reference. First off, it won't be listed there because there is no word missionary in the New Testament. And I always ask people, I say, now just imagine with me for a second. This is the most uh, proselytizing faith or the most evangelistic faith on the planet. Don't you think it's strange that the word missionary appears nowhere in your in your English translation? It's because when the translators translated uh, the word missionary, it, it was the word sent out. Um, apostle, apostolos, sent out one. Um, they chose 
to eliminate confusion so that people wouldn't think, oh, we still think that the 12 are running around today. Uh, they, they translate it to fellow workers or fellow laborers. So, um, anyways, or sometimes servant. So, really, the word there is apostolos sent out one. And so that's what I am. I'm a guy that's on the move. I'm mobile. I'm a sent out one. I don't stay in one place for long because I'm wired for the short term. I'm not built for the long term. Does that make sense? You know, I wanted, yeah, it does. I, I want to just read this uh, for everyone. So we're, we're all on the same page. This is from uh, Ephesians 4. And uh, I'm going to start here in verse 7. Uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind, by doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who was who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it will build itself up in love. And see, Amen. to me, when I read that, it it seems to give the impression that this is an ongoing thing, right? It doesn't, to me, sound like this is a past tense thing, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then it goes into, yes. here's the reason why. So yeah. and, what and is there's the actually argument? a time text. There's also a time text. It says, until we are built up in him. So, you know, it, 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 we haven't fully grown up into him who is the head. When he talks about him ascending, what he's saying is when Jesus uh, finished his work on the cross, rose from the dead, um, promised the sending of the Holy Spirit and ascended into heaven, he didn't leave the work finished. And in fact, he gave the disciples a directive, the apostles a directive, spread out, finish the job, take this message everywhere, make disciples, and do what I've done finish my work. And so this whole idea that he has, he has equipped them, um, comes, comes in where it says that we need to, if you look at that passage, the theme is that the body matures into the head, that Jesus, when he left, he left a Jesus shaped hole and that the church itself is going to fill that Jesus shaped hole literally by, um, the, uh, it's your mailman in it. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it's not. 
So, so literally, the church is going to fill the void that Jesus left in the world. Kind of like when you remember when you're a kid and you're watching Bugs Bunny, and Bugs Bunny like gets all shooken up, and or Sylvester the cat or whatever Bugs Bunny, they run through the wall and they leave an imprint that looks like just like them, like a Bugs Bunny shaped hole, long bunny ears, you know, same shape as him. So, so here's the deal. Paul's kind of painting the picture. Look, when he ascended, he left. Uh, a Jesus-shaped hole, and the church needs to grow up into that outline, needs to fill the frame of that outline that Jesus... So he says, until we come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. He's talking about a measure, an outline. Just like when you're a kid, you'd stand up against butcher paper on the wall, and your teacher draw that outline around you. Um, if you had a two-year-old you know, come and stand in that outline, you'd say, well, one day you'll grow up into this outline. That's what he's saying about the church, but the way that the church grows and matures is each of these five roles are constantly pulling on the church. So <clears throat> it's not just the shepherd teacher. The evangelist needs to pull on the average believer to make him more evangelistic. The teacher needs to pull to make him more knowledgeable. The shepherd needs to pull to make him apply the truth of God to his everyday life, because that's what shepherding's about. The apostle needs to pull on him to get him out on the front lines again. Okay, so so my job as an apostolic leader or a church planner is not like the evangelist. The evangelist gets uh, the the he goes out and he takes believers with him and he says, "Let's go evangelize." And it's more more concerned with individuals, right? The apostle, however, is all about mobilizing the entire church to engage the front lines. So it's all about how the church is wired. It's about the DNA of the church. It's the church's approach. So case in point, let's say that I leave any church plan I'm a part of, and I just put one guy in in, in place there, because Paul says, I laid a foundation, now someone else is building. If I put a teacher in there, guess what's going to happen to that church if it doesn't continually have an evangelist, a shepherd, a prophet, and an apostle as part of that leadership makes it pulls on it. Well, uh, the teacher will immediately make the church like a classroom <clears throat> because all they'll get is teaching and he'll be focused on teaching. So there's a team dynamic that needs to come in. I was just going to say that it's interesting because as I, uh, I remember very clearly, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's Mormon and, uh, for many years, I worked with a lot of Mormons, uh, like literally worked not like as a missionary, but in the same business. And like everyone around me was a Mormon. And my buddy and I were, were out at lunch this one day and, and I, I asked him the question, I go, what was it about you know Mormonism that, that brought you to it? And he said, well, it was the whole idea and the concept of a living prophet that just kind of captivated his attention. And he goes, what do you think of that? <laughs> and I remember my response. My response was, well, you know, we don't need a living prophet. You know, we, let's, we have Jesus now. So, you know, to me, I'm like, why do we need prophets? Because I'm thinking Old Testament prophets. And I remember going home, and I don't know if it was Ephesians 4 or another part where I read, and it was like clear that it was saying, you know, there are prophets after Jesus, like this passage in Ephesians 4. And I remember thinking, not anything like, oh, well, maybe Mormonism is away, but I was like, oh, that kind of wigs me out a little bit. Like yeah. the term prophet to me brings up old Testament images 
of a prophet. And that actual term actually wigs me out more than the one apostle. I get why the term apostle wigs out, you know, a lot of people in the church. I, I get that. Yeah. But uh, I, I think the idea that it's more than just a pastor is very earth shattering in a lot of ways for the church because of yes. how the church looks today in today's society. You know, as yes. I've mentioned before, growing up in a Christian home, having a dad that's a pastor, we never had an evangelist. We never had a prophet. We never had, you know, an apostle. We had a, a shepherd or or a teacher. I'm not even sure you, you would have to explain to me what the difference is between shepherd and teacher, because I don't understand yeah. the difference. Yeah. Well, you know, let me let me back up first and just you, that is such a, a a mouthful of concepts, and it's it's great that you raise this because first off, the two that people are afraid of is apostle and prophet. Apostle, they're uh, afraid of because they think we're talking about the twelve, and of course, Paul talks about himself as one born last of all, born out of due time. So Paul is the last of those. 12 apostles. There were 12, one for each of the tribes of, of Jew, uh, Israel <clears throat> that Jesus picked to minister to the Jews. And then Paul calls himself apostle to the Gentiles. And what Paul does is he starts reproducing himself in 32 guys, nine of whom uh, we're told are apostolos. Paul uses the term for Timothy, and he used the term for Titus, Apollos, Silvanus, Barnabas. So right away, we're getting closer to the fact that there are guys, I mean, it's just a fact, that are called apostolos, but we know that they're, they don't have the special status as the twelve. So Paul was one of the, one of the, uh, he, we know that, that his delegates or the guys he trained or reproduced himself as, they too were apostolos, but they were the second class of, uh, apostle. Like, for example, when Paul says, have I not seen the risen Lord? In Corinthians, he is actually putting himself in the category with the twelve. He argues both in Galatians and Corinth, uh, to the Corinthians that he's on equal standing with uh, the twelve. But nowhere do we see that argument for the guys that he trained under him. Of course, Timothy hadn't seen the risen Lord. Titus hadn't. Uh, I have, but that's because I, I died for 20 minutes, um, which you know, is very... I don't expect anyone to, to put any stock in that, but but uh, I, I've had an experience. But I'm not on the level of the 12. Um, Paul was, the 12 were, and other than that, we, we just have guys that are ordinary. And I think what makes people uh, nervous is that anybody who claims that they're on equal status with the 12 has this like incredible superpower to be on the same uh, level as writing scripture, um, being a foundation. Well, no, the fact is the foundation was already laid for the church. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, when, it, like in other words, the scripture's already laid. It's already been laid down. So what, what we're talking about when we talk about uh, an apostle is just a guy who on a micro level lays a foundation. So he lays a foundation as, as a church planter and gets everything started up. And then if, 
if you look in the book of Acts, what prophets do is they come around. Agabus is a prophet. In fact, Barnabas was called a prophet before he's referred to as an apostle. Um, that was his role, which means he had the gift of prophecy. So when we call someone a prophet, look, here's the deal. There are people who in our churches who have the gift of prophecy. We should not call them prophets. In fact, um, most people who uh, have the gift of prophecy... Um, you wouldn't put them on leadership. But when we're talking about these five roles, what we're talking about is five different flavors of leaders. So if I have a team of elders, I might have an apostolic elder. I might have a teaching elder. I might have a shepherd elder. I might have an evangelist elder. So these are different people on the makeup of your church's leadership team. And so when we talk about a prophet, um, you'd be looking at a guy who maybe has the gift of prophecy. Um, you know, he's just wired differently. He always wants to hear from God. He always wants to factor God into every uh, decision. Every He's very in touch with the Holy Spirit. Um, he doesn't have any more... Uh, uh, knowledge or authority than anyone else. He gets stuff wrong. Uh, he ha- but he has a gift of prophecy. And so, um, when you look at the book of Acts, you see after Paul lays a foundation, often you see that prophets go and, and prophecy, by the way, um, is linked to encouragement. So it continually says in the book of Acts, chapter 13, um, <clears throat> chapter 11, that they go around, uh, strengthening the church and encouraging it. And so prophets and apostles often work in tag teams. Um, they are, um, uh, closely linked at the hip. Uh, they are frontline. They're for young works, new works. And so both of them tend to have this kind of wanderlust that makes them want to go out on the front lines. Whereas when you start getting into the other three roles, um, they're not as radical as the first two. Um, hmm. They're actually a little bit more conservative. And, and the evangelist, he's kind of like in the middle. He's half radical, half conservative. He's kind of the, the linchpin, but... What we've done in the Western church is because we're not comfortable with the apostle or the prophet, um, we've simply written them out of existence. We just say, well, they're not for today. Never mind the fact that we can't find scriptural grounds for this. Although I know some people will say, oh, you know, we know in part prophesy in part, um, but when that which is perfect comes, well, when that which is perfect comes is, is speaking about love to begin with. And it also is linked to uh, the restoration of all things and the coming of Christ. So you can't use that argument as, well, we have the scripture now. We don't need uh, any of the gifts, and we certainly don't need these roles. So, uh, you know, that, that, that whole deal right there, um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, it's, uh, it, to me, it's so different than how I grew up. You know, it, it is it is so different, just the the concept. But to me, it also makes so much sense. You know, one of the things that I mentioned uh, in my review on Amazon of your book, uh, Church Zero, shameless plug there, there for you. Um, when I was growing up, my father was a pastor of a church that was a small church. I think when he left, it was at about 55 people, you know, maybe at its height was maybe 150 people. Um, and I don't think 
in in any way, shape, or form that my father was a, a bad pastor by by any means. I, that's never been my take from my experience in in watching him and and things like that. But it it to me makes so much sense why after so many years he was there, um, and I think he took that when I was about four. Uh, and left when, you know, I was probably in high school. So, you know, maybe like sophomore year in high school. Um, it, it makes so much sense why it never really reached the potential that it could have reached, especially in the area it was in because it was incomplete. There was an incomplete leadership team. You know, yeah, there weren't, I mean, uh, an evangelist. In fact, I, I remember distinctly there was this one argument that my mother got into with this other gal in the church and the other gal was like well you know if your husband was out there bringing people in this church wouldn't be struggling and you know and my mom's point was well he's supposed to be here you know helping the people who are in the church you can't be out there getting bringing them in and and it was like this huge blow up and i i never you know i'm a kid you know i'm 10 11 who knows how old but I look back on that experience now with this new light of, well, gosh, that's why there's other roles, you know, that's, yeah. that's why there are other roles. Absolutely. You know, it, it's what we call the pastor only model. We have a pastor only model. In other words, if a guy wants to go into ministry and serve the Lord, we call him the pastor, which means shepherd. But the reality is most of the guys that we call pastor aren't shepherds at all. In fact, they're teachers. What they're really into is preaching and pulpit ministry. And so when you asked earlier, what's the difference between a pastor, um, or excuse me, a shepherd and a teacher, the, the, the teacher is a pulpiteer. He's uh, a preacher. He's a guy who loves to teach people and teach them new concepts and take them through the Word. And so if, if a guy's passion is he can't wait to get into the pulpit, that's probably an indicator he's a teacher. But what about a shepherd? We all know um, churches where we've heard people say, our new pastor, he's not the teacher our old pastor was, but um, man, is he amazing with people. I mean, if one of the kids is graduating, he's there, he prays for them, gives them a gift. Um, if anyone has a problem, they can call him at two in the morning. He'll sit and he'll marriage counsel with you. He'll weep through your problems. He's, he's always over at people's homes talking through the family issues. It's like he's there whenever you need him. Well, that's a shepherd. And the church needs that. I can remember serving on a team where um, we were uh, in our church plant. We were we had made the move out of the Starbucks at Pillar. We had um, we were getting ready to um, go into uh, no. We had gone in. Sorry, we had gone into our community hall, and I was feeling like we needed to get back out there. So there was a trucker stop and I was saying, look, why don't we move to this truck stop? And what we can do is there's a big coffee shop inside this truck stop. I've gotten permission to lead a discussion group every Sunday morning there. And then we'll have afterglows at people's homes. So we won't be able to worship. Obviously that was a problem. We had the Starbucks, but let's rethink, let's think every, you know, completely go outside the box here. And one of the wives of uh, my co-pastor, Jeff, who's in the book, um, he's a prophetic-type leader, although he would never use the term prophet for himself. Um, by, by the way, that's usually an indicator a guy is, uh, has a prophetic ministry. He's, he's very uncomfortable with people pointing to it. Prophets, by the way, as Alistair Begg said, they point the way, 
um, they uh, they they point at the what is it? They point the way and then they get out of the way. Okay, so um, they they don't want to be the way. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not. He confessed. Um, there's another one coming, always pointing to Jesus, pointing away from himself. And that's key. That's a ministry of the prophets. Uh, they were always pointing to Jesus. But, but anyways, going back. So we're, I'm wanting to move us into this trucker stop and it's totally radical. And there's like a Burger King in this truck stop. So I'm like, you know, the kids can play in the Burger King, uh, play area and I'm getting super radical. We start out radical. I'm trying to make us even more radical. And Jeff's wife speaks up and says, Peyton, what about, and she starts mentioning all of the, the, the family issues that are going to be a problem with this. And it completely, uh, derailed my whole idea. Well, we found other ways to keep on the front lines. Um, but in a way that didn't, uh, completely destroy the families that we had picked up along the way. So uh, you need this balance. The the teacher needs uh, the evangelist, um, as you pointed out about your dad. Maybe your dad's teaching the church or he's a shepherd, but he's just not a gifted evangelist. An evangelist comes and takes that burden off him and says, you keep teaching those people. You keep shepherding those people because nobody can do it all. And boom, you know, the, the guy suddenly freed off. I write in Church Zero, I say, hey, guys, when you embrace this, uh, those of you that have been working in the pastor-only model, you're about to get your life back. You know, I, I cannot tell you how much more that makes sense to me and how, for me, that encourages me just to understand the difference between teacher and shepherd. Because, and I, I've mentioned this before, I think, on the podcast. I, and if I haven't, <laughs> here it is. I am by no means a shepherd person. Uh, that's that is not my skill set. Like someone comes to me with a problem, it's like suck it up, Buttercup. You know, I mean, I'm not the guy that's gonna sit there and cry with you and be like, "Hey, we can work our way." <laughs> that's just not my skill set. Yeah, but I could definitely see myself as a teacher role, and I, I mentioned that before. I mean, Absolutely. for me, getting up in front of a group, I'm I, I have no problem with that. Some people are like deathly afraid of public speaking. I love it. Man, yeah. stick me in front of a group. I'm great. Put me one on one with someone. It's like, oh man, what am I supposed to do now? Like that's yeah, where don't... I'm uncomfortable. So yeah. hearing that distinction for me, it makes sense, and it's so freeing in a lot of ways. Because now it's like I look at that and going, okay, well, you know, I don't know that I'm called to church plant specifically, but if I were, I know that. I'm not the shepherd. I got to have a shepherd. I got, you know, God's got to provide that person to me because believe me, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be sitting there crying with you at two in the morning. That's just, yeah. that's not how I'm wired. You know, and it, it should be said that, that uh, discipleship largely uh, is modeled by the shepherd. I mean, it's not just the touchy-feely guy that holds your hands and cries with you. He he also is a discipler. So if, if we look at Refuge Long Beach, right, um, we've got a team, and um, we've got guys I could just, I mean, probably by the end of this, Pete, you could, you could just peg them what each of them are, because they're all different. Everybody on our team is different. That's that's part of what a church planner who's wired like the Ephesians 4 verse 11 model, you just start raising guys up with these different complementing gifts. But Mike Bonomo is definitely a shepherd. That is his oh, yeah. role. Absolutely. And 
And so you'll find that shepherds often uh, gravitate towards ministries like drug and alcohol. So Mike runs our refuge recovery ministry. And, uh, you know, and he gets a huge chunk of people at this thing, man. Um, you know, and, and that's what he does. He just loves to talk on the phone and to talk guys through their problems and their addictions. And you need that. Well, I, you know, I'm an you know excite what's so funny about that? Mike called me last week because he needed my help putting together a video for uh, Refuge Recovery. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not kidding, man. I left that phone call 25 minutes later going, man, I hope I never have to have another call with him because it, like, goes on forever. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, just get yeah. to the point, you know, that's because he's the shepherd. It makes so, so much sense when you put it in terms like that. It's like, he's the shepherd. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and you're the opposite. You're like, that's that's definitely not where I'm at, man. I'm, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not, you know, you respond very well to teachers. So, I mean, there's a reason, Pete, why you naturally navigated towards apologetics.com. That is, uh, that's part of the teacher uh, category because the teacher is saying, hey, you know, um, you guys need to know, you need to be able to give an answer. And so they've got this whole knowledge base. Uh, Walter Martin, you know, um, the late great, you know, from uh, mm-hmm, Christian Research mm-hmm. Institute founder, he uh, he was a teacher, and that guy, it was kind of like Paul, you know, where you know Festus says, "Hey, your great your great learning is driving you mad, Paul." You know, uh, uh, they're just guys that have crazy intellects. We need guys like that on our leadership team, so we're not a bunch of dummies. Plus, what my theory is, and and I've shared this before. It's probably going to be my final thought. Maybe just something for people to to just kind of camp out on and and maybe tease them out till next week and, and get them thinking. But but my theory and and what I propose in Church Zero is that the enemy has done his best to scatter and separate the body of Christ. Um, <clears throat> he's drawn and quartered us. In other words, <clears throat> excuse me. He's divided us into into uh, different camps. So uh, basically, he's he's taken all the teachers and he's put them in word based churches. You know, particularly guys that go to gravitate towards teaching seminary, or uh, you know, they they maybe they go to the reform camp because they love theology and what have you. And then we got like your evangelists. So it's tend to be like your Arminians, you know, guys are just, let's just go reach the law so we don't care about theology, you know. Um, and then you got your, your prophets. They're, uh, they're basically, um, uh, they go to the Pentecostal charismatic circle. Um, because there's no place for them in the word-based church. And then the apostles, well, they're sent out ones. They're missionaries. So they look around and go, well, I'm not a pastor. I want to go reach the lost people on the gospel frontiers. So they head off to the mission field. Um, and so you're, you're left kind of, you know, maybe the shepherds, I didn't mention them. Uh, maybe they go into counseling ministries, focus on the family type stuff, rehab, drug and alcohol, whatever they get their MA in, in, uh, marriage and family counseling, whatever it is. And so now you've got all these people, really, the church was meant to be a powerhouse of all of these things. And we were meant to come together so that the, the Pentecostal charismatic circle, had they had the balance, if God had brought us all together, the Pentecostal charismatic circle would not have gotten so far off the rails in certain areas. Because I'm refreshed by anyone who wants a greater uh, presence of God, the Holy Spirit wants to hear from the Lord. I have all the time in the world for that. I'm this, like, what they call a tweener, where I don't really have a camp anymore, because I am a makeup of all of these things. But the reality hmm. is... Um, 
the 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 Pentecostal charismatic movement desperately needed the influence of teachers because we're separate. What happens is the Hank Hanegraaffs on the teaching side throw rocks over at the Pentecostal charismatic, grateful that they're doing what they're doing. But the problem is then the uh, Pentecostal charismatics look over across the divide and say, "Well, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit." Like, you know, you're like the guys in Acts chapter 19 that uh, were converts of Apollos. And Paul finds them and says, have you been baptized with the Spirit? And they say, we didn't even know there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And yet they're believers. So, you know, where we're at is we're in this place where the enemy, all he's done is taken these five roles and caused each of them to think my way is the right way and scattered us into all these different camps, all these different denominations, and in church planting... All of these roles come back together, and that's how I've seen it. That's what came out of Church Zero. God built a team for me that was a makeup of all of these different roles, and I'm telling you what, the churches that I plant now because of the makeup, they're nothing like the churches that either I came out of or any of my team members came out of. It's like the best of all of the movements out there rolled into one, and you basically check the weaknesses at the door and say, no thanks. That's what I think Christ intended. Right, right. Here's I'm going to leave everyone with this final quote uh, from. Uh, it's actually not the final quote in your first chapter of Church Zero, but I think it's such a powerful quote for church planners. Uh, I'll get to the quote. Let me just read the the preceding lines here. Enter Saul of Tarsus. Persecution smacked down on the church like Gallagher's 25-pound sledgehammer on a watermelon, splattering the seeds of the church to the far reaches of Asia Minor. If the church wouldn't go out willingly, they'd be scattered unwillingly. That's God's time-tested method of getting his people to heed the Great Commission. In Europe today, postmodernism has been forcing churches to venture outside to reach the unreached. This is Des, uh, desperation and leaders who have realized that it's either sink or swim. Pioneer third world missionary C.T. Studd once said, Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to re- run a rescue shot within a yard of hell. And I, I, I love that line because it speaks so clearly to what the church planner really wants to do. It's not mm. to join up to be part of the mega church. It's, I want to run a rescue shot within a yard of hell. Going where the, the, the unreached are going where the undesired are. I mean, I think that the term undesired cannot be used uh, more appropriately than where the church plants, at least that that we like to work with and, and see and encourage and help. And hopefully that'll be started because of this podcast. It's reaching that undesired group, which may not be middle class America. You know, it could be in the, the slums of Brazil. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's going to the undesired. I mean, that's that's the deal right there. So um, anyway, with that, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up this particular uh, Church Planner podcast. And just to let everyone know, um, Church Planner Magazine is uh, actually submitted to Apple's uh, uh, iTunes. So they're reviewing it right now. We're expecting them to come back in the next uh, 10 to 15 days. And uh, then hopefully everyone will be able to download that magazine and they can start seeing some of the great video interviews that we've done and start reading the articles and then it'll be um, monthly from from there on out. So uh, with that, Peyton, again, thanks so much for this particular uh, call. I really appreciated your time, man. Thanks, Pete.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.